This is the download for um, Nancy Lehman If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts 2, and we're looking at verse 42 to 47. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, that's okay, it doesn't matter, it's all right, but we've been looking at the early church and a few different things that they were devoted to um, as the early church. It would help if I turned this on. (laughs) Okay, there you go. No, you're all right. Have a great time, children. Do lots of fun stuff up there. If any, any of you guys want to join them, <laughs> now's your chance. Oi, get back. <laughs> okay, let's read that together, Acts 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the last couple of weeks, um, we were looking at what the early church devoted themselves to. The first week, we looked at devotion to the apostles' teachings. Then we looked at devotion to fellowship. And today, we're going to be looking at devotion to breaking of the bread. Now there's discussion among scholars about what that actually meant, the breaking of the bread. And in this context, does it mean um, this, breaking of the bread, the, the communion that we come to, or did it mean just simply going to each other's homes and having a meal together? Um, so there's a discussion about what that means. I'm going to favour the idea that it's actually referring to the communion, okay? And the reason why I think that is firstly because it talks about the breaking of bread. As in, it puts the breaking. It doesn't just say breaking of bread, but the breaking of bread, like a definite article um, that it was the breaking of bread. So I think that could say something. And also, it's put in line with the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and the prayers. So it's three other spiritual activities that they were taking part in, and it's placed within that. So perhaps that could give us an indication as well. But thirdly, even if it did mean just going round to people's houses and sharing a meal together, actually, it was the common thing back then that when they shared a meal together and they were going from house to house, they would do this anyway. That would just be part of the having a meal together and sharing in the communion. It's quite different today because probably when you go round to each other's houses for dinner, you probably don't do this. You probably don't have communion together, the breaking of the bread like this. Um, We always have it in the building, but they didn't do that back then. It wasn't like they went to the temple for this. It was just they did it in their homes. So it was part of just being together and having a meal. So even if it was that, 
then we can still incorporate this into it. There's many different names for this communion. Okay, Communion is one of them. Um, but just turn to the person next to you and think if you can, what else could we call this? Off you go. Other than communion. Oh, there'd be silence. Any other names we could come up with for this meal? Yes, okay, good, excellent. Yeah, the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. Anything else? Yes, okay, the body and the blood of Jesus, yeah, absolutely. Yes? Do this in remembrance of me. Good, yeah, you could say that, yeah, good. Also, um, we could call it the Eucharist. Have you ever heard it? Yeah, the Eucharist. Or if we were going to Catholic church, they would call it the Mass. Um, so there's loads of different names for this time of breaking the bread. And I think each different name gives us an expression of what this is actually all about. So the Lord's Supper, obviously, it's about the Lord. It's in, do this in remembrance of me. Do it in remembrance of what Jesus did. And it's a supper, which means you eat and drink. Okay? So it's something to eat, it's something to drink in remembrance of the Lord. It's communion, because we share it together. So we're in communion together. But we're also in communion with God, because as we share it, we commune with God. It's the Eucharist. Now, the Eucharist means to give thanks. Okay, so it's a time when we come, we give thanks to God for all that he's done for us, for his forgiveness. And mass is from a Latin phrase, which I don't really know how to pronounce, but it's from a Latin phrase, which means go, you are sent, which I think is a really interesting thing. So it's about, yeah, coming and being thankful to God, but it's also got an element of us being sent out once we've taken it, once we've encountered God ourselves, we go out. It's never just about us. So it's a missional activity. So I think those different names give us insight into what breaking the bread was really about. And the early church devoted themselves to this meal. Okay, so they had this when they met together. And I want us to look a little bit today and say, well, why should we do the same? Why should we be a church that devotes itself to breaking of the bread? Why should we follow in the same footsteps? And why did Jesus say to his disciples on that night, do this in remembrance of me? Well, let's have a little look, first of all, what it does for us and um, what it means to us. So, first of all, in true teacher fashion, it prepares us, okay? Um, Now, there are a few people in this church, I'm looking around, um, who right at this moment know all too well what it means to be a little bit stressed about preparing for a wedding. <laughs> okay. So, we, um, Margaret and Clive's daughter is getting married on Friday. Jess is getting married on Friday. Danny, Marilyn's daughter, Danny, is getting married on Saturday. So, they're all in the throes and the swings of, of wedding prep. And I'm sure you can remember preparing for a wedding or if you've ever been involved in that. Um, you know, you do lots of things, don't you, before a wedding to prepare for the special day. You know, as a minister, I've stood with couples and, you know, we've gone through the vows together and where they come in and where they walk and all of these different things because you want to get it just right, don't you, for the day, yeah? And then you watch, oh no, I was going to say you watch them, you've been frame flip and it, it's not going to happen, that won't happen, it'll be absolutely fine, it'll be fine, <laughs> it'll be great. But we do, we prepare. In the US, I'm sure, quote me if I'm wrong, don't they do the whole meal thing before as well? They actually have a meal to prepare for the meal that they're going to have. I think that's quite strange. Um, but we do prepare for things, don't we? I remember learning to drive, okay? I might have shared this with you before because it was one of those experiences that just scarred me for life, learning to drive. Anyone else? 
feel, <laughs> okay, just me. <laughs> Learning to drive was one of those things that, oh, I just dreaded every lesson. And if you've ever been in a car with me, you'll know why. Um, and it took me a few, te- a few attempts to pass my driving test, okay, I've got to admit. Um, but I had to prepare, <laughs> even with my preparation. Um, I eventually got there. Okay, I eventually managed to pass. But, or, you know, whatever it is, Christmas, we love preparing, don't we, for Christmas, for the event. You know, you've got to get everything ready. You've got to sort things out if you want the day to go really well. We do it all the time. It makes good sense. And I think communion for us, the Lord's Supper, is actually a time of preparation. It's preparing us. It's preparing us for actually um, the ultimate, the great feast in eternity that we'll finally have with God. Um, so it's a kind of a preparation time. But when we come to it, we can truly see and taste that God is good. Yeah, we can really know that God is good. It's a seeing and a tasting. And I think as we go through the practice of the Lord's Supper, and we do it every other week here. Some churches do it every week, month, whatever it is. But it's, a, it's kind of a, a routine. It's something that we do. Why? Because it shapes us. You will know that anything you do continually shapes you to be the person you are. The things you watch, the things you read, the people you hang out with, whatever it is, moulds you into the person that you want to become. I really wanted that with the gym. I really, really wanted to be that type of person that would go to the gym regularly and it would shape me and make me fit and healthy. But that never happened. I gave up my gym membership yesterday, not yesterday, last month. Just that was it. I thought, well, I've got to, I've got to face back. Sometimes there's just things that you're never going to do. I don't think the gym is for me. Um, but we do things, don't we, time and like over again, repetitively, because it shapes us, it makes us who we are. And I think the coming to the Lord's Supper, to the table, we do it because it shapes us, it prepares us, it makes us who we need to be. So it prepares us. It also presents us with a new covenant. Like what I did there, P-P. It's good, isn't it? Presents us with a new covenant. Um, When asked about Jesus' death, many say, well, Jesus had to die. He had to die so that we can be forgiven. Absolutely, we know that, okay? But then that kind of begs the question as to why. Why did it have to be like that? Why did God have to sacrifice his son, Jesus, for us to be forgiven? Why death? I remember um, teaching about this at school and to teach about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. And students always struggled with this. They always struggled why a father God would sacrifice his son on the cross. And they saw it, you know, as a kind of brutal, unnecessary act. They couldn't get their heads around why that had to happen. And of course, it does look like that. I mean, it does seem that way. If you just take it at a face value, you'd be like, well, why, why did God have to do it like that? And of course, if we don't understand the Old Testament, then we'll never understand the sacrifice of Jesus. We've got to see what the Old Testament looked like. And um, it's hard to fully explain that. But in Old Testament times, God entered in, didn't he, to covenant with his, with his people, with the Israelites. So he made a covenant with them. And a covenant, a covenant is just a contract. That will be happening in these weddings on Friday and Saturday. It's a covenant agreement between two people who kind of legally sign a contract. 
And that was the same with God and his people. He was giving a promise to his people, and he was saying, I'll bless you, I'll do this, this, this. Um, And then they had to be in agreement with that. And and the other half of their um, agreement was that they would obey God. And it was almost like a a code of conduct, really. And so God makes covenants with um, Moses, with Noah, uh, with uh, Abraham, with David, and these covenants are made. And God promises to bless his people, but they need to follow him. And they need to do what he has required. And so we read um, in Exodus 19, when the Israelites were brought up out of Egypt, the covenant that was made um, between God and I need to point it there. And his people. Let's have a little look at this. So Exodus 19. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So we see here God speaking a covenant promise. Obey my voice, keep my covenant, I will bless you. So there's this agreement. And then later on in Exodus 24, sorry, there's a lot of writing there, but just so that you can follow me, it says this, that Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Can you imagine? It was a messy time. It's a messy time. I don't think I'd like to be standing there with all that blood being thrown around. But we've got to get our heads into what was going on back then and the culture and the time of that day, because blood was symbolic, okay? And that's why they shed the blood of animals, that's why they sacrificed. Blood was always shed when a covenant agreement was being made. It was a sign, and it was pretty central. It's kind of like that um, pact that people make when they talk about being blood brothers, because you can be a blood brother with someone that's more than just you being related to them. You know, there used to be that thing where you like made a little cut, and you'd press those, your cuts together and put your blood together and... You know, it was, a, it was a pact. It was a blood oath that you were making with your friend. Um, and so we kind of can get our heads into that idea of blood being shed to be a sign of a covenant, an agreement between, two, uh, between the Israelites and God. But the Israelites always struggled to keep the covenant. Well, they would, wouldn't they? Because me and you do. You know, we struggle, don't we, to obey God in all things. Um, you know, I... Day by day, you come up in circumstances or situations where, you know, you know the right thing to do, perhaps, but you don't do it. Or So I'm not surprised the Israelites struggle to keep the law and to keep the covenant, because we do. 
And so each year the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies, he had to enter into there, he had to sacrifice the animals because the blood had to be shed and uh, that would then atone for the sins of the people. Okay, so that was going on back then. And Israel could never, the Israelites could never uphold the promises made in the covenant. They could never do it, they could never keep it. It's like me and you, we can never really fully keep all the laws and all, all the agreements or anything. And um, the, that was a problem because, you know, it was a serious commitment. It was a serious covenant. And if they didn't obey, then there, were, there was something wrong with their relationship with God. They, they lost something. And so there was only really one hope for the future. There had to be a new covenant made. There had to be a covenant made that would never, ever be broken. And of course, we are living in that amazing time. We have the privilege of living under the new covenant that God made. And we see it in Jeremiah 31. Because Jeremiah 31 says this. And this is God speaking. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbour and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. We are people who have the law written within our hearts. We are under the new covenant and God creates a covenant that cannot be broken. The sacrifice of Jesus ushers in a new covenant for us and we can be fully restored. Fully restored because we know and are confident that it will always be upheld because Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all so that we have full access to God that we have full favour from the Lord, which I didn't experience in Old Testament times, but it's because of this, and it's for us to remember this new covenant that is so amazing that we can come into the very presence of God, that we don't need somebody on our behalf going to sacrifice some animals and shed their blood. And God never needed that. It was all, it was all about a symbolic act for the people. And the cross is a symbolic act for us to see once and for all what God has done. That Jesus is the high priest. We don't need a high priest to enter the Holy of Holies. Jesus is the high priest. And more than that, Jesus is not just the high priest who offers a sacrifice, but he's the high priest that is the sacrifice for us. He's the very sacrifice. He gave himself up for us. So God isn't being brutal when he sacrifices his son. He is actually giving himself on the cross for us. Jesus is God. God volunteers himself as the final blood sacrifice so that we may experience the new covenant. It was a sign for us. And so we partake in the breaking of the bread so that we might remember the new covenant and how amazing and awesome that is for us. So it prepares us It presents us with the new covenant. And finally, 
although not finally to my sermon in case you get a bit excited, okay? Just finally to this section. It purifies us, okay? So in the Old Testament, there was an annual purification ritual, and you all know it. It was the Day of Atonement. You know when you've ever been struggling to read Leviticus? You know that little easy read? So you can read it when you, you know, need to get to sleep. Um, it's just like, oh, what? Um, when we struggle to read Leviticus, it's because we have to go through a lot of animal sacrifices, and there's lots going on, and it's because it's to do with the atonement rituals. And that's why we find it so difficult. But it was through the blood, like I said, that people were sanctified and made pure again. They needed that as a sign. It helped them to see that they were clean again and that they could retain God's presence in their lives. But it was only ever temporary. It was only a cleansing that was temporary. And so they had to keep doing it. Every year, there was a day of atonement where someone, where the priest would go in and atone for their sins. Isn't it great that Jesus has done it once and for all? That he himself, the high priest, is the final sacrifice. So that we are fully purified. That we don't have to have anyone else on our behalf, but we're purified because of the, the cross, because of Jesus. So the breaking of the bread, it prepares us, it presents us with this new covenant, and it purifies us. So then how are we to respond to such an awesome thing? There's a few things. I think we need to respond by, first of all, repenting and being restored. Oh. There you go. Just to keep you awake. Repent and be restored. I think as we listen to all that communion and the breaking of bread does for us, we can come and we can say to God, you know, yeah, I've messed up. Yeah, again this week I've done this. But you know what? I want to turn from that and I want you to restore me. And the breaking of the bread gives us an opportunity to do that. We can do that whenever. But at this time, it's even more significant for us. I love the story of blind Bartimaeus in the Gospel of Mark. Um, In Mark 10, it says this. They came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho, Jesus and his disciples and a great crowd, um, Bartimaeus, the blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that, Jesus of, that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say this, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And of course, the story goes on, as Jesus says to Bartimaeus, you know, come up, he heals him. He restores his sight back to him. So the people wanted to shut him up, and say, you know, and rebuke him and say, you know, just be quiet, Bartimaeus. But Bartimaeus carried on crying out for Jesus. I think it was more than just the healing. I think Bartimaeus realised that he was a man, you know, oppressed by his own sin, but he was crying out and he says to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And I love the story because it demonstrates this. We are never too lost that we are never too far away from God, that God will always show his mercy towards us. This man, who other people had given up on, who was just sat at the side of the road, but Jesus didn't give up on him. Jesus called him 
and healed him. And it doesn't matter what we go through. It doesn't matter where we've been. It doesn't matter what circumstance or whatever we've done. We can call on God's mercy. God's mercy is for us. We are never, ever too lost. And the communion table is a display of this for us. Of Christ's mercy. And if you don't believe me, then let's just have another look at some of the things it says in the Bible about what Jesus does with our sin. Jesus nails it to the cross. If we look at the passage in Colossians, we can see it says this, that you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus nails our sins to the cross. He blots them out. He says, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me. I've redeemed you. He nails them to the cross. He blots them out. He removes them from us. As far as the east is from the west, Psalm says, so he removes our transgressions from us. He nails them to the cross. He blots them out. He removes them from us. He casts them behind his back. don't know what's going on here. He says, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction and you have cast all my sins behind your back. Jesus cast them behind his back. He hurls them into the depths of the sea. It says this, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. And finally, he forgets them. Isn't that great? He doesn't just remove them. He forgets them. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins. What an amazing thing. It's mercy. It's the mercy of God over our lives. That anything we've done, anything we've ever done wrong, wherever we've been, whatever's happened to our life, he gets it and he removes it. Why? Because of this. And we remind ourselves of that as we come and break bread. We're never too lost. I love the story of the prodigal son. And I'm not going to read the prodigal son's story to you, but the lost son, when he's gone and got all his inheritance, yeah, from his father, goes off, you know, wastes all in his inheritance, you know, squanders it, and then decides to come back to his father's house. And what does the father do when he sees his son? He runs out, doesn't he? He runs out to meet his son. Now, back in those days, in Jewish culture, for a Jewish man to run would have been unacceptable. Okay, they wouldn't have been able to do that. It would have brought shame upon that person. Right? It was a shameful act for the Jewish man to run because I think for a number of reasons they would have probably had to you know, lift up their garment and you wouldn't be able to expose your legs and anything like that. So it was something that you wouldn't do. But we get this story and we get this picture of the father running to the son, even though it was going to bring shame upon the father. Why did he do that? Why did he run out to his son and bring shame upon himself? Well, because in Jewish culture, what was going to happen, what was about to happen, is if a son went off and squandered all their inheritance and tried to return back, the community wouldn't accept them. And the community would do this ritual, this ceremony, where, it seems quite bizarre, but they would get a large pot and smash it in front of the person, in front of the son, and then say, you are now cut off from your people. We don't accept you, you're rejected. 
And so the father knew in his mind that that's what was going to happen, that the community would do that, they would do this ritual. And so what the father does is, I think this is what he does, he runs out to see the son. He runs out to get to the son first before the community gets to him. I'm going to get to my son so that the community can't get there and they can't perform this ritual because I don't want shame coming upon my son. So instead, what I'll do is I'll run and although that's shameful for me, I'm going to do it. So I will bring the shame upon myself to protect my son. What a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. So that we don't have to have shame, so that we don't have to have shame for the things we've done, for our sin, for our wrongdoings. Christ himself said, you know what? I will take the shame upon myself. And as I go to the cross, I will take the shame. I will be in place just like that father in the prodigal son story. I think it's such a wonderful, wonderful, lovely picture. How much we're forgiven, how much we're restored, how much we don't have to suffer shame. So, the breaking of the bread, the Lord's Supper, it's about our response of repenting, and as we repent, so we're restored. But I think there's a couple of other things as well that I just quickly want to go through. The next one is relinquish. I think the cross and the Lord's Supper involves a relinquishing on our part. As we repent and we find forgiveness, we need to give up something. Relinquishing means to voluntarily give up. And I think we're called to give up our lives and lay our lives down. And every time I take a partake in this, it's another opportunity for me to say, God, I give you my life again. I give you everything again. Because in Luke 9 it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And it is daily, isn't it? And some days I don't feel like doing it. And some days I'm good at it and some days I'm not. And it is a constant reminder that I'm to take up my cross and just say, look, it's not about me, God. It's about you. It's not about me because look what you've done for me. It's got to be about you. And just as Christ took up his cross, we are asked to do the same, to deny ourselves. I love, love this bit in Mark again, in Mark's Gospel in chapter 12, where Jesus is speaking to the crowds. And the Pharisees come to Jesus and um, they ask Jesus, should they be paying taxes to Caesar? You might remember that little passage. Should we be paying our taxes to Caesar? Now, of course, this was a trap. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, but Jesus always has a better answer. He cleverly answers to them, well, whose image is on the coin? Whose image do you see on that coin? And they say, well, it's Caesar's image. So Jesus says, well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Because the the coin had the image of Caesar, it was, well, give that back to Caesar, his image is on it, and give God what is God's. Now, where is God's image? Where do we find God's image? We find it within us. It's stamped on our hearts. It's in our lives. We were created in the image of God. And so when Jesus says that, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's, the image of Caesar's there. Where's the image of God? The image of God is within. So give to God what is God's. Give yourself. Give your life. Give all that you are, because that's where God's image is. And that same calling goes out to us today. 
And I think recognising all that the Lord's Supper symbolises is recognising that, you know, it's about relinquishing as well. Yes, it's, a, it's forgiveness. Yes, it's repentance and being restored, but it's also a sacrifice. It's also maybe a giving up, um, a surrendering. And finally, I think it's about a recommission. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I love eating. How many of you love eating? Yeah, love to eat. You know, when someone asks you, you know, when you're like introing people, aren't you, and someone sees you for the first time, eats you, often one of the questions is, well, what do you like to do? I've always wondered how people would react if I just said, oh, I like eating, actually. If you're going to ask me what I really love to do, I love to eat, and I especially love to eat cake Ah. and cheese and all the things I shouldn't. But, you know, it's not really acceptable, is it, to say that? So you can kind of go, yeah, I like reading and going for walks and theological discussions. Um, But actually, all I want to say is, yeah, I love to sit down and have a good eat. Um, But I know that although I love eating, I know that I've got to exercise as well to some degree, not in the gym. But um, otherwise, it wouldn't be great for me if I just ate and ate and ate and never did anything else. So I know I need to exercise as well. I'm also fully aware that eating isn't just for our pleasure, is it? It's not, we don't eat just because it's so enjoyable. It just happens that it is, and that's a real bonus, um, which is great. But actually, we have to eat to keep ourselves alive. There's a purpose to why we put food in our bodies. Um, We eat to live. And I think, finally, that the Lord's Supper is for us to take in order that we will live a certain type of life. It's not taken just so that we can enjoy fellowship with God and know his forgiveness. I think there's so much more than that. And it's what I was saying before about the word mass. I think that we take this so that in order that we can live a certain type of life, and that certain type of life is the Great Commission. We do this not just because it's enjoyable in the sense that it's something for us and we're forgiven, just like I enjoy food. I have food because it's keeping me alive. And I think this is the same. And we are called to a life of the Great Commission where it says in Matthew, uh, Jesus came and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I'll be with you always to the end of the age. You see... That's the life we're called to, the Great Commission. And we're nourished here at the table. We're nourished and fed in order that we might live that life, that we might go out and make disciples. Because it's never just about us, is it? It's never just about us. And it's the exercise of the church that we go out, that we're missional. If we just keep it to ourselves, if we just have this and it's all about me, then we get overindulgent. We get out of shape, just like I was saying to you. If I eat and eat, I've got to do something with that. I've got to exercise. And I think the exercise of the church is the Great Commission. And as we involve ourselves in anything in church, whether it's the worship, whether it's the word, whether it's the Lord's Supper, it's a nourishment for us, but it's so that we might be equipped, so that we might go out. Just as the word mass says, go, you are sent. We're going to come now 
around the Lord's table. And I thought it'd be nice to do it at the end because I've been speaking on it and it just gives us something to think about again as we take the bread and the wine. So let's just remind ourselves. The Lord's Supper is to prepare us. It's to present us with a new covenant to show us that once and for all Jesus was the final sacrifice. I don't have to come in today with any animals. Thank the Lord. I don't have to make any sacrifices on your behalf because the high priest Jesus has done it and we are under the new covenant. And this blood that was shed purifies us so that we have access to God and we have favour. We have God's grace and mercy over our lives. And we are to come today, yes, in repentance. Yes, to acknowledge God, I've done stuff just this morning, whenever, whatever. But I come to you again. And I know that I'm forgiven. We're forgiven for everything. We're forgiven for our tomorrow and for next week and next month. It's already forgiven, but we need to come with repentant hearts and be restored and be nourished. And perhaps there's a time of just coming and saying, yeah, I give up things again, God. I relinquish again my life to you. I surrender myself again. And being aware that we are to be recommissioned to go out, to be sent, and to know that this great, amazing grace and love and forgiveness and mercy that we've discovered that is part of our lives is something that we're to give to others and we're to show to others and to go and make disciples. So I'm going to invite those who are helping serve communion to come up now. And as we do this, let's just think about what's been said today and remind ourselves. I mean, a lot of that stuff we probably knew, but it's good to remember why we do this, that it never becomes just something that we do out of routine. But Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a sign of a new covenant that I am making with you. When you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. The body of Jesus, broken for you. Brother Jesus, shed for you. Father God, we thank you that we have the privilege to be people of the new covenant. That we are able to come freely into your throne room and have full access to you. And have your favour and have your forgiveness and have your grace and mercy all over our lives. And as we take the bread and wine today, Lord, I pray again that would come alive in our hearts. We would know how blessed we are, how much you love us, how much you forgive us and want us to be close to you. We thank you that you are the ultimate, final, once and for all sacrifice. We thank you that your blood was shed so that we might be purified. We know it's an act, a symbolic act for us to be able to know that we are accepted by you. 
And there is no one in this room that is outside of that. There is no one in this room that has done anything that takes them away from you. Because you forgive each and every one of us. Your mercy is for all of us. And as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our transgressions from us. You've nailed them to the cross. You've blotted them out. You have removed them. You've hurled them into the sea. You've cast them behind your back. You've forgotten them. And we stand in awe and thankfulness today of all that you are and all that you've done. So Lord, may this come alive again in us. Thank you, Jesus. This is a free download from at Lancy Leland Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Lancy Leland Church building. At the bank of the in the Temple Alliance of Burnley. Contact us or find out more information about us. Please visit our website at the Lancy Leland. Okay.